One of the challenges of sharing the Christmas story every Christmas is that the story never changes. The Messiah is born to a virgin every time. Born in Bethlehem every time. Laid in a manger every time. All right, a little slow there, a little slow there. But one of the goals of this series is that we would realize that the characters in the Bible, in these Bible stories, are real people with real questions, with real emotions, real fears. And uh, so I've enjoyed having uh, Ella uh, lead us in those two Mary songs, uh, last Sunday and today, to really put in perspective maybe what she had felt and what was going through her mind. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us what Mary was thinking When she had heard from the angel and was rushing off to see her uh, cousin Elizabeth, that we talked about last week, Scripture doesn't tell us what she was thinking, but here's what I know. She was thinking something because we would be thinking something of all that had been transpired and what the angel said, and God chose her, and you're highly favored, oh my goodness, you're going to be carrying the Messiah? And when she traveled with Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem, She's well with child. We don't know what she was processing and how she was processing all that she had been experiencing and what was to come. We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us how she was processing it. But guess what? We know she was processing it because we would be too. We would be running through all the scenarios and all the what ifs and what abouts. And that's why it's helpful to be reminded that these are real people telling a real story from Scripture. I'm going to read the, the lyrics again of that song you just heard. Maybe you didn't catch it all the first time. Is this really happening? Will anyone understand? Who am I to carry the Son of God and man? I've got a million questions. A lot that I should feel, although there's so much unknown, there is one thing that is clear. This is all I know that you will change the world. And I'm just a servant to one holy king. But who knew that you'd live inside of me? It's hard to understand why this would be your plan. But if everything I've heard about you is true, my story begins when I trusted you. And I promise that I will be there Though right now it seems that I'm scared, I know that my heart is prepared for you. This is really happening. You're really on your way. Will Joseph ever hear the truth or what others say? I can't think about that now. I won't let that steal my joy because God has given me a precious baby boy. This is all I know, that you will change the world. And I'll watch my child be a holy king a light to a world that is suffering. It's hard to understand why this would be your plan, but if everything I've heard about you is true, my story begins when I trusted you. And I promise that I will be there, though right now it seems that I'm scared. And I know that my heart is prepared for you. A real person with real emotions 
in a real story. In a real story. Now, part of effective Bible study, really understanding and, and really having the Word of God come alive to you, is to, to put ourselves into the scene in these Bible stories. I, I try to, even as I'm studying, preparing to, to, to communicate God's Word to you in these Bible stories, I try to put myself in their shoes, or we would say sandals, all right? They would say sandals. Of what were they thinking? What were they processing? What emotions would the situation kind of trigger? And what happens when, when we put ourselves into the text and into the context, not to take it out of context, not to, to change the text, but to marinate into the text, then that's when it's like the Bible's coming alive. Because when we ask ourselves these questions, what would they feel? What, were they, what questions would they have? What fears could be surfacing? That's what makes the Bible come alive. Story hasn't changed, but our perspective has changed because now we're marinating into the text within the context of the story. And one of the beauty and the power behind a worldwide series now is called The Chosen. I don't know if you've watched The Chosen or seen The Chosen. It has taken off across the world. It's a religious historical drama. And uh, it's the largest crowdsourcing series ever. Crowdsourcing is the, the crowd sources, pays, so that they can keep filming different, different episodes. Because the, 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 the producer and the editors and the writers knew Hollywood would never, would never write the story of Jesus choosing his disciples. And they didn't want to just you know, have one series, one movie. They wanted a, uh, multiple seasons and many episodes. And this has taken, a, just as really has blown up. And God strategically had it come out during COVID where everybody was looking for something to watch. And it was all on YouTube and then they're, they're the chosen app. 108 million people have been watching. It's been translated into 600 languages. It is exploding around the globe. Here's why. Is that they're putting human flesh on real characters. Real characters. They're not taking things out of context. But they, they're, they're putting some th conversations in that normal people would talk about. I'm going to show you a, a scene from season two that really touched Candy in, in my heart. It's Mary, the mother of Jesus, with the disciples around a fire, because that's what, you know, we still go, kind of gather around a fire pit, don't we? And we talk, we tell stories. And Mary Magdalene asked Mary, the mother of Jesus, so tell us, what was the birth of Christ like? Now, that, that, that shows up nowhere in Scripture. But I guarantee you, someone had that question when Mary, Mary came around. Tell us, how did it happen? Let your imagination watch and come alive of real people having a conversation and, and what Mary says in this episode. So how did you feel when it happened? When what happened? His birth. Even before that, how did you know, when did you know who he was? I don't know. We're all tired. Do you really want to hear all that? Yes. 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 <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, 
Well, nothing about it was easy, I can tell you that. It wasn't in my hometown. My mother wasn't there. We had no midwife. I don't know if I'm ready to give all the details. Maybe some other time. But I do remember this. When Joseph handed him to me, it was like nothing I expected. It was like everything I'd heard about having a baby, but I thought this would be completely different. What do you mean? I had to clean him off. He was covered in... Uh... I will be polite. <laughs> he needed to be cleaned. And he was cold. And he was crying. And... He needed my help. My help. A teenager from Nazareth. It actually made me think for just one moment, is this really the son of God? And Joseph later told me he briefly thought the same thing. But we knew he was. I don't know what I expected. But he was crying and he needed me. And I wondered how long that would last. He doesn't need me anymore. Not since we taught him how to walk and eat. He hasn't needed me for a long time, I suppose. And after Joseph passed, may he rest in peace. He grew up even quicker. And I wish I could say that made me happy. Of course, as a Jew, I'm excited to see everything he does for our people, and I'm proud of him. But... as a mom... it makes me a little sad sometimes. So it's good to be with all of you for a bit. I can find ways to help. We'll take it. <laughs> now, none of that dialogue is found. <laughs> in scripture. <laughs> we'll find it in scripture, but I, I have a good feeling that just about every mom in the room can identify with her emotions. I'm all alone. Here's a baby, and this baby needs me. Now, but she has to process, the son of God needs me? He's cold, I need to cover him up? And how many of you moms wrestled through, like, I, I want them to grow up, but just not too fast. And then they hit teenagers, please go. <laughs> but then feeling, I'm not needed anymore. Moms, can you relate to that? But they do in different ways. 
Early in the, the video clip, Mary says, says this. Um, I, I don't know if I'm ready to give you all the details. Maybe some other time. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Because that some other time came. When Luke, the author of this gospel, wanted to capture the true story of Jesus, but he wanted to talk to eyewitnesses, those who were actually there. And there's no one else to tell the story of Christmas but Mary, the mother of Jesus, who's still alive. We don't know what happened to Joseph. God just kind of quietly moved him out of the scene, but Mary is still alive. Luke is looking for eyewitnesses. Tell us the story. What really happened? And so as, as we, I'm going to read the first one, verses 1 through 20. And it's a, it's a story that some of you have heard for Christmas after Christmas after Christmas. But I want you to really understand that Mary came a point in her life, this is years after the resurrection, years after Jesus ascended back into heaven, that Luke came to her and said, Mary, could, could, could you sit down and could I talk to you? Could you tell me what happened? And Mary gave details that Luke captured. Imagine sitting down and hearing Mary share this for the first time. Verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that, was, that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there were no guest room available for them. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven on, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the, ba and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. If you're taking notes today, here's the central point. 
is this, is that God chose, God chose to reveal the supernatural to simple, everyday people. God chose to reveal the supernatural birth of the Messiah to simple, everyday people. He didn't use the priests. God didn't use messengers from Rome. Let's talk about the shepherds. Simple, everyday people. God chose to reveal it to them first. Now, the shepherds at this time period were the, the lowest job on the econo- economic ladder. I mean, they were the, kind of the bottom of the rung, and, and they were like, okay, we don't want to see you because you smell like sheep. And, and, and the shepherds, they, they lived outside. They worked outside no matter the weather. They were out there with their sheep, and they would move their, sh- their herds, the sheep herds, often to provide for them, provide shade in the heat, uh, water when they, when they were running low, food, better grain, better fields, and they constantly move in their sheep. They also had to hide their sheep in caves at time to protect them from the hyenas and jackals of that day. And they were very vigilant to take care of their sheep and, and to watch them and, and look out for them when they would, strays would, would, would go off and leave and they would fall into a ravine or, or in the chasm and they would have to go and rescue them because sheep on, on themselves would get killed. They would fall over and couldn't get up and they needed a shepherd and so shepherds were always on guard. And shepherds had triple duty. They were watchmen, they were defenders, and and they were uh, midwives delivering baby lambs. Now you got to understand, in this Jewish culture, there was a significance placed on the firstborn male lamb. The firstborn male lamb was always put off to the side that would soon be sent to Jerusalem for sacrifice in the Mosaic law system of sacrificing. And that firstborn, spotless male lamb would be a, an atoning, a covering, a hiding of the sin of the nation for a period of time. So when there was a firstborn male lamb, the shepherds knew the significance of it. Now, the, the shepherds, again, lowest on the economic ladder, but also they couldn't go into the temple because they were unclean. So really, they only had one special kind of in with the priest in Jerusalem because the priests were the ones to give them clean or new cloths to swaddle the firstborn male lamb and wrap that lamb up, clean that lamb off. While they were cleaning, they were inspecting it for blemishes, and if it had a blemish, that, that lamb would not be sent to Jerusalem for the sacrifice. They were, they were looking for a spotless, blemishless lamb, and the claws would cover and clean that lamb to be presented as a sacrifice in Jerusalem. Very, very important. Now fast forward a number of years, and the, the child that we talked about last week of Elizabeth, who became John, John the baptizer, This is what it said. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. Check out what he said. He said, look, the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God's coming. He's, there he is. This Lamb of God will take away or cover, atone for the sin of the world. And you take John's description as the forerunner of the Messiah, calling Jesus the Lamb of God, and shepherds coming into Bethlehem, just having an angelic experience, and they find Mary and Joseph, and there is their firstborn son wrapped in a swaddling cloth. It's as if someone had this whole thing planned out. And it was. And Jesus was revealed to everyday simple shepherds because God knew they were important. What they did was important. Jesus would later say that he was the good shepherd. David was a shepherd who wrote a lot of Psalms, Psalm 23. And God knew in his sovereign plan that the Lamb of God, the first and only Son of God, God in the body, come into flesh, would be wrapped in swaddling clothes because he came for the purpose to be the atoning sacrificial lamb on the cross to cover the sins of mankind. So God strategically revealed the supernatural to very important shepherds who were simple, everyday people. Now let's look at who else God revealed supernaturally the birth of Christ. It was a teenage girl, a teenage girl. Of all the women in Israel, God chose a teenage, everyday, normal girl to be the mother and carry the Messiah to birth. God chose her away from her mother, away from her hometown. There was no midwife to help her. And here's this teenage girl giving birth to the Son of God that needed to be cleaned, needed to be huddled, cuddled for warmth, needed to be taught things. And then one day a mother will need to let him go. And how hard that could have been. There came a point where a mother experienced, he doesn't need me anymore. God chose to supernaturally reveal the coming Messiah to a simple, everyday, teenage girl. I love it in, in verse 19 of the Christmas story. It says, after all this experience, and why, why do we know about the shepherds? Because Mary experienced it and told Luke. And it says there in verse 19 that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Again, if you're new to Bible study, the, the, the New Testament was not written in English. It was written in the Greek language, a very descriptive language to help us fully understand. God wants to be known and understood. And he wanted these, his stories in the New Testament to be understood, so he chose the Greek language. So this word treasured. In the Greek, it means this, to keep in memory, to guard, to be preserved. All that Mary had experienced, the angel, her time with Elizabeth, 
um, Joseph and, and going down to, uh, to, to Bethlehem and then giving birth and then shepherds showing up and telling them that they had, they had an angelic experience. All of this she, she treasured. She wanted to keep in memory to guard and preserve because God knew that one day a man named Luke would approach her and say, I'm trying to write a detailed, accurate account of, of the story of Jesus. And you're the only one was there at the birth. Would you please tell me your story? And because she had treasured it, she guarded it, preserved it. That's why we know it today. Then the word pondered. Pondered. Of course, we think, we think about it a little longer. We ponder. Like my two-year-old granddaughter. Hmm. She's pondering. What does that mean? It means to think deeply about. And this past week, I dove back in, and, and I found deeper into the, the Greek meaning of this word ponder. It goes beyond just to think about. And it means to bring together, to contribute, to aid, and to help. She captured this so deep experience. I mean, she marinated on what was happening, what had just happened. She gathered it, she guarded it, she preserved it. She thought deeply about it, but then one day it would be shared and it brings, it contributes, it aids, it helps our understanding of what took place that night in Bethlehem so that we can understand that we can be aided and helped and billions of people told about the Christmas story. Here is God choosing to reveal the supernatural birth of a Messiah. And God chose simple, everyday shepherds to be a part of it and a simple, everyday teenage girl. Do you realize that the shepherds and Mary were the first messengers that the Messiah had been born? The first messengers to tell the story that the Messiah is not only born, but his name is Jesus. God chose them strategically. Which leads to this thought, taking the Christmas story and how God revealed it supernaturally. It's this, is that God continues to use this pattern with the gospel. God still today, 2,000 plus years from the first Christmas, God is using the pattern of revealing the supernatural good news of Jesus, the gospel, using simple, everyday people. Now you may be sitting here going, but Barry, that's your job. You're the pastor. You're a pastor. You get to share the gospel. You know, and I'm like, great. I love it. We share it often here at Grace Point. There ne should never be a long period of gap between not sharing the gospel. I love it. But you are also qualified if you know Jesus. You're a simple, everyday person because God has strategically placed people in your life that if I would approach them cold turkey, they would go, whoa, whoa, I don't think I want to listen to a pastor. But to, to, to them, you're normal. Well, that may not be true, but 
but you have a relationship with your family, your friends, the people God has strategically put into your neighborhood next to you. God has strategically placed coworkers around you so that God, through everyday simple people, so that you can share the supernatural story that the Son of God came the first time to this earth to take your sins and pay for your sins and rose again proving that he was God. Have you ever viewed yourself as a messenger of God? You are if you're a believer. Don't just kick, it, kick the ball to my court and say, uh, Barry, that's, that's for you. You do that. Oh, no. We're all messengers if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And you have people in your life that God has strategically placed there so that you, if your heart is willing, say, God, I'm willing, you watch that God will give you windows of opportunity to just brag on Jesus. You don't need to know all the deep theological truths found forever in Scripture, but what you can say is, spiritually, I was dead, but then Jesus saved me, now I'm alive. I was blind, but now I see. I don't understand everything, but this thing I do know is that Jesus changed my life. He gave me peace. He gave me hope. I tell you, this, there is no riper opportunity in Kitsap County and in Washington State and in our country uh, is to share the hope because our country has no hope. Our country is looking to everything that is no source of hope or peace at all. So you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have everything memorized. And if you're willing, like shepherds or even Mary, God, if you want to use me to share your story, give me an opportunity. You pray that, I guarantee you, God will make it obvious at work or at lunch break or, or, or having a, just a general conversation with your neighbors. God will say, there's the window. Just step into that and just tell what God has done in your life. Tell about Jesus. Yes, invite him to church. In fact, on the way out, you need to take some invite cards for Christmas Eve. Why? Because we have put a team together, has spent hundreds of hours preparing, planning, memorizing, because the whole theme of Christmas Eve is telling the greatest gift ever from Isaiah 6, 9. That a son was going to come, born, and his name is going to be one. He's going to be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. We're telling Isaiah 6, 9. So you have a mission, if you choose to accept it. To be a messenger, just like simple shepherds. To tell people and to even invite them to come here. And when they come, they will hear the greatest gift ever, and have an opportunity to receive that gift. God still continues to use this pattern even today. I'm going to close the service a little different. If you would stand and cup your hands like this, like a cup, I'm going to finish by praying a prayer of blessing. My words don't have weight or power, but, but prayer does. And I'm asking God to fill your cup with blessings in several Way. So if you close your eyes and put your hands out, if you like, as I pray. God, we stand here with our hands open, asking you to fill it. God, I pray that everyone who has their hands extended 
cup together, that you would fill it with a deeper understanding and appreciation of the Christmas story. May they sense Jesus in their life like never before. For those who do not know you, Jesus, may I pray that you fill their cup with the courage to, by faith, trust in Jesus as their Savior this Christmas. God, I also ask that you would place in their hands the blessing, the opportunity to share Jesus to someone this Christmas. Open the window of opportunity for them to simply be used by the King of kings and Lord of lords to brag on you this Christmas. Bless them, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.